You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For everything, for everything indie, for everything cults, it's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. And welcome back into another edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Hickey and George Bremer, as always, here with you. A very big midweek pod here, a loaded one. Obviously, as you can imagine, dominated around one topic, really one position and one player, that is Sam Ellinger. What are realistic expectations out for the second-year quarterback making his first career start, not only on Sunday against the Commanders, but realistic expectations for now the rest of the season, the 10 games he will likely start this year. Also, too, what should the Colts do? What should they, if you're a Colts fan, do you want them to do well and kind of make a playoff run, or are they better off kind of tanking? And also, too, speaking of tanking, trade deadline is on Tuesday. Should the Colts sell? Should they be stay, you know, stay where they are right now and not be buyers, but also not be sellers? We'll kind of discuss the future of the Colts here all throughout the next few minutes or so. But, George, we can't talk the pod with anything else. It took us forever to get this podcast right. And I had technical errors. Our producer had technical errors. Uh, your side as well. All three of us had our own different issues. If this pod getting it started is indicative of how the Sam Ellinger era is going to go here for the Colts, it's going to be a long 10 games. That is for sure. It feels a lot like the state of the team right now, right? I mean, the Holy Wi-Fi at, at your place was was sort of the offensive line. And then we had other issues going on everywhere else. And <laughs> I uh, just couldn't get around it. Just couldn't get anything going. Uh, so we kind of, I guess we sympathize right now with the franchise today. We we know how it feels. We know how it feels to have just leaks and holes everywhere and you can't stop them, can't plug them up. It is, uh, that is for sure. But we are up and running, at least so far, fingers crossed, we can get through this entire pod uh, in one piece and not have any kind of go off the rails here. But now that Sam Ellinger, George, is a starter, is a starter for the rest of the season, He's making his first career start on Sunday again, really getting his first actual playing time uh, out of year number two now in the NFL um, for the first time. What should realistic expectations be? What should Colts fans expect? What are you expecting now from a guy we've seen play well against third and fourth stringers in the preseason, but really have not seen him against any sort of stiff competition before? Yeah, I, I honestly, I feel like we're going into uncharted territory. And, and from that standpoint, it's intriguing. I, I don't really have a lot of expectations at this point. Um, I think the Colts have to feel like they're making this move with a chance to, to boost this offense. I mean, you look at what the season's been so far and what we've talked about week after week on this podcast, defense is playing well. They're not playing at a championship level, but they're playing at a playoff level. They're playing well. Uh, they're, they're getting the job done more often than not. Special teams has been better more often than not. Uh, obviously an issue with the punter on Sunday in, in, Nashville that kind of got buried by the news on Monday. Uh, but aside from that, the special teams has been pretty good considering everything that happened on that side of the ball with the injury to Rigoberto Sanchez with the change at kicker. I think they've come through pretty solidly and, and more often than not given this team a chance to win the offense on the other hand has been the opposite, you know, more often than not, they have been the downfall of this football team outside of the Jacksonville game. When they put up 34 points, they've been, you know, bad more often than not. Uh, I think you could fourth quarter against Houston, you know, parts of the game against Kansas City. But on a consistent basis, this is a team that can't score. You're seeing it. They're 30th in, in points in the league right now. Uh, you're never going to survive like that. Um, that's not something that's going to to end up working in your favor. Um, you know, I think there's only two teams scoring less points than they are right now in the NFL. That's not where they thought they would be. And so I think this decision, now that we've had 24 hours to kind of digest it after the emergency pod yesterday, I think this 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 decision, in my mind, is a desperate attempt 
to try to fix the offense. They've done just about everything else you can do. They've, they've gone through every imaginable combination of the offensive line. There's probably a couple more left they can do, but it doesn't look like that's getting anywhere. They've, they've gone to a no huddle offense and tried to spark things that way. And it worked for a week. So now they're looking at the turnover situation and, and 12 of the 14 turnovers are on Matt Ryan's shoulders, whether that's, you know, totally on his play or not, we can get into the arguments about everything going on around him, but he is responsible for 12 of the 14 turnovers. I think now you, you try to slide Sam Ellinger in there and, and see if maybe he gives you the boost you need on offense. I think most people would agree if this offense could get into the 23, 24 points per game range, this is a potential playoff team. You know that they need that kind of a boost. That's a touchdown more than they're scoring now. It feels like I said this to you on a text earlier today. Feels like you know you're watching a 1980s action movie, and the bad guys hold all the cards, and they're they're trying one desperate plan, but everything has to go right to save the day. It feels like that's what the Colts are doing here. The problem for them is it it rarely, if ever, works in real life. It works in the movies, right? That's the whole point of all. Oh, you need everything just to be timed right. And wow, look at that! You know, James Bond saves the day, but here in the real world, you're right. When you kind of need every single card, every single play and week and, and outcome to kind of go your way. It's almost like George, you know, what we've been talking about the last like four or five years of this team, where you dig yourself in such a hole that they need every break to possibly go their way in 2018. It did go their way really outside of that. The Colts have been unable to dig themselves out of an early hole. And you're right. Even though their record is not like what it's been in, in 29, uh, in 2020, uh, 2020, I should say, excuse me, or in 2018, it's still to the point where now it's like, you're right, you need every kind of break to go your way. So especially too, when you talk about like expectations for Sam Ellinger, it, it's really tough to ask him to kind of, like you said, come in right away and basically provide that immediate spark where you're now, you're basically asking him, do, you know, help this offense get at least a touchdown better than what they have been. It sounds like, oh, that's not that big of an ask for how bad this offense is, but I don't know if, if he's the guy to do so. Because at least for me, I, again, we've seen very limited you know, amounts of him against most of them in the preseason. But even kind of the way you look at it, how he played at Texas, I feel like I see a lot of Justin Fields in Sam Ellinger. And here's what I mean by that. If you watch Justin Fields at any point so far in this first year and a half in Chicago, especially too, if you just watch, I think one game kind of epitomized it. If you watch that Monday night game, Bears-Patriots, which just happened a few days ago, you see Justin Fields, he is really not any sort of threat with his arm. He can throw the ball around a little bit, okay, but... He's a bigger threat to the defense with his legs. He's a bigger threat rolling outside of the pocket. He's not a pocket passer, and he's really someone that has no anticipation whatsoever. He's one of those guys, kind of like a lot of college quarterbacks, you have to see the guy open before you throw. You can't anticipate he's going to be open and throw it to a spot and have that receiver be there. He's one of those guys that has to see them open, and that usually leads to a lot of sacks. Justin Fields, number one in the NFL in sacks right now at 27. Uh, a lot of interceptions, which he's struggled with you know, low completion percentage, because if you're waiting that long, defense are going to sit there. He's one of the worst completion percentages in all the NFL so far this year, 55%. And you look, he's a guy who's completed 76 completions so far through seven games, 68 rush attempts. So it's almost a one-to-one comparison throw to run. So he's not throwing the ball a lot. And he, he makes most of his plays and it does most of his damage to his legs. I think that's where we're going to see more from Sam Ellinger this year, where he's someone who's very athletic, obviously way more mobility and way bigger threat than Matt Ryan will ever be at any point in his career, um, especially this behind this offensive line. So he should be able to make more plays with his legs. He should be able to roll out to the pocket and make things happen. But it's kind of like with Justin Fields, a lot of his success is almost predicated on, can you make that first guy miss? Because Fields is back there a lot, and if he can make the first guy miss, he goes down. But if he can kind of break contain, that's when either with his legs or throwing on the run, that's where he's most effective. It's not the most you know effective offense in the world because the Bears are not exactly lying at the scoreboard whatsoever outside of that Monday night game against Patriots. At least for me, you know, without seeing a lot of Ellinger so far, especially against good competition, that's how I kind of would imagine him looking so far early on, doing more damage with his legs and with his arm and being more comfortable and a way bigger threat outside of the pocket than it would be inside kind of sitting there just throwing BBs all around the yard. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's probably the the ceiling. You know, that's probably the the better outcome with him right now. I, I tend to look at it more like a Tim Tebow situation where you're going to run around and, and, you know, make plays with your legs and just sort of surprise the defense every now and again with a pass. Um, we'll see, you know, that that's where I put it. I don't know because I'm, I'm in the same boat. You are, we have a very limited, 
sample size here to look at. You know, I mean, you, you've got the preseason games, which, again, don't mean much to me. Anything that happens from the third quarter on in, the, in a preseason game, I'm really not dialed into. Maybe some individual things here and there, but these guys haven't schemed to, to defend this offense. They're not high caliber defenders to begin with. You know, it's it's not it's it's backyard football. I don't know how else to explain. Right, it's backyard football, like and I think that's why you see guys like Chad Kelly and Sam Ellinger and Philip Walker and Stephen. Uh, Moore was it a, a few Morris, years ago? Morris, Morris, Stephen Morris, Stephen Morris. From yeah, that, that's why. That's why these guys have success in those kind of situations because they're really good backyard players. You know, they're they're the guys that you get in the huddle and hey, you go and, and cut at the car and and you go run over the <laughs> the manhole and I'm going to hit you here. That's that's their game and that's what the preseason is in a lot of ways. So it'll be interesting to see how that translates to the regular season where it is. You know, there is a scheme against you. Uh, you are playing against the world's greatest athletes. Even Washington has some of the best football players in, in the world. That's that's how it works. You know, that's how these 32 teams go. These defenses are all amazingly good. Uh, they're they're all highly talented, fast, athletic guys. And you don't see that in the preseason. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, I think the Colts are trying to go with the trend. I think the trend in the – I don't think the trend in the NFL. The trend in the NFL, obviously – is towards more mobile guys, you know, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts. Um, that's what you're looking for. Even Patrick Mahomes, who's very good when he has to throw over the pocket, is still more dangerous when he gets outside the pocket and buys some time and throws the ball across his body 80 yards somehow perfectly in in on target. I, I mean, that's he's one of a kind. Yeah, but that's for sure. You know, even Josh Allen and, and Jalen Hurts, who will do a lot with their legs and will hurt you with their arms. They're running offenses closer to what you see on Saturday. It's closer to a college offense. We're not to the point yet where they're not huddling and they're they're getting plays off the card. I mean, Chip Kelly tried that and it failed miserably at, at this level. So I don't think you're going to get fully there, but you're definitely moving more towards that fast-paced, mobile quarterback, hit you, dual threat, hurt you with your arm and your leg. But like you said, I think there's a big difference between Jalen Hurts and Justin Fields running those those schemes right now. And I think Ellinger's going to fall closer to the Justin Fields line. I think he's behind that. I really, again, to me, it's Tim Tebow 2.0. That, that's what I see here. High character guy, great leader, every intangible you can think of. Everybody off the field loves him. He's probably the teammates are going to get behind him. But physically, can he do what he needs to do to stretch a defense, to hit, you know, a 50 yard pass play to, to Paris Campbell to, to, you know, take the top off of defense. I don't know. And I think what's going to come down to, I, I look at the offense they've run the last two weeks with Matt Ryan. And I don't think it's a coincidence. It came in at this time because it came at the same time that Sam was elevated to number two. And, and I think it's a system that theoretically could highlight what Ellinger does in terms of quick passes, short passes, not asking a lot of him from a, you know, arm strength standpoint, but it's going to come down to two things. And, and you highlighted both of them that, that we've not seen from Justin Fields. And we'll see whether we see them from Sam Ellinger or not on Sunday anticipation. You know, he's, he's a very bright guy. We all know that he knows this offense. He's got it down, but can he see it in real time on the field? He can draw it up on a, on a, on a whiteboard. I have no doubt about that, but can he physically see it in the moment and get the ball out ahead of schedule the timing aspect of that Frank Reich offense, can he can he do it? We'll see that. And then secondly, accuracy. You know, can he do all of that? Take in all the information he has to take in at the line of scrimmage. Process it all the way Matt Ryan has. Get the ball where it needs to go. I mean, we can argue about Matt Ryan for all we want, and, and we know the, the downfall. Nine interceptions, three fumbles, absolutely unacceptable through seven games. It's probably the biggest reason he's on the bench. But he also was 33 of 44 on Sunday on a bad day because more often than not, he's putting the ball where it needs to be and moving the chains. It was all the negative plays after that, the sacks, the penalties, his own issues that, that were slowing down the offense. Can Sam Ellinger be as good as he was in those other areas of the game? That's the question to me. Can he consistently read the defense correctly, get the ball out on time and in the right place? If not, I think you're still going to have all the other issues with sacks, 
and and turnovers, and you're not going to have that accuracy and the ability to read them quickly. We'll see. I don't know. And that's the that's such a tough part of, of that basically Sam Ellinger is being put into. It's not like an easy spot for him whatsoever. Like he's coming in now to a situation like you just mentioned. You have to absorb all that information in the span of two seconds, make a decision, know where to go with the ball, know what the defense is doing, have the arm strength, have the accuracy to know, you know, where to put the ball in the right spot. And also, too, like, you know, I think the just that's why I kind of like this Justin Fields comparison is because he is someone who's super elusive, super athletic. But the reason why he's been sacked the NFL most and somehow more than Matt Ryan, because he holds on to the ball too late and doesn't know where to go with the ball after his first read is covered. And that's one of the biggest differences between the college game and the NFL game. We saw Sam Ellinger at Texas, for the most part, have some pretty good success, a little inconsistency there. But one of the big reasons was he had time and the the speed of the game is just not as fast and not as, you know, even the ability for defensive coordinators to catch up on tendencies is not as fast as it is in the NFL. So even if we see Sam Ellinger have a really good game on Sunday against the Commanders, where he's, you know, making some good throws, making plays with his legs, rolling outside the pocket, like defenses will pick up very quickly. Oh, this is what this guy does best. So how we're going to make sure he flushes the other way or keep him in the pocket or take away his first read. Like you mentioned it too. The Colts offense right now is not explosive whatsoever. Why? Because they can't protect, and even Matt Ryan doesn't have that right now enough time or even arm strength. I hate to say it, but that's, you know, you see some of the throws deep. It's a question for sure to push the ball down the field. And what did the Titans do? The Colts had a lot of success on the short passing game against the Jaguars. They were passed first. It worked. Led to a season high 34 points as we know they won the game. Very next week, why they only score one touchdown? Why they only score 10 points? Because the Titans said they can't throw the ball beyond 10 yards line of scrimmage. They picked up on that and they made a switch to their defense right away where they took away the quick passing game. They made sure Matt Ryan's going to be under siege and it worked. So like that's the thing with Sam Ellinger too is however this game goes on Sunday, it's almost just kind of like, okay, especially if it's good, it's like, great. Like that's a nice first start, but now can you repeat? Like that's the hardest thing young quarterbacks will have uh, to deal with is repeating their success because tendencies get out quick. Defense coordinators watch a lot of uh, film and quickly. And then two games, three games, the rest of the NFL will know what Sam Ellinger does well. And also more importantly, what he doesn't do or try to force him into that. And that's, what's going to make his job so much harder because you talk about this offensive line and we were kind of talking about before the show is like, the, here's a question that's realistic. And again, it's kind of crazy to say, cause Sam Ellinger, one of his big attributes is his legs and his athletic ability. But will this offensive line give Sam Ellinger even enough time to showcase what he can do. Like we have our own doubts about his passing ability and winning within the pocket. We'll even have time to show whether he can actually make a throw in the pocket or not. It's something that we haven't really seen much from Matt Ryan. He's more mobile than Matt Ryan, but that still doesn't mean that he'll be able to still have the time to make, you know, even just go to a second or third read because right now we've seen this offensive line at each position just get blown up and not be able to protect. And that's uh, to me, you know, I look around the league right now and, and you look at what's going on in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers and what's going on in Tampa Bay with with Tom Brady and the Bucks have, I don't know, a thousand injuries on the on the offensive line, it feels like. And, and Green Bay as well. I mean, Bakhtiari was out, I guess, 90 minutes before the game on Sunday, uh, you know, and, and you see they're they're more effective than Matt Ryan has been. I think Brady has eight touchdowns and one interception uh, right now through seven games and, and uh, Aaron Rodgers is 11 and three which are numbers that you feel a lot better about, but their offenses are not, I think they're 26th and 23rd, I want to say, in, in scoring offense. Brady's team is 26th, and I believe Rodgers is 23rd, yeah. and neither one of them are, are at 20 points a game. And that, that goes back to what we're talking about here. There are certain things on offense that have to happen that even if you've got the greatest of all time and Tom Brady behind center, you're still going to struggle if you're not able to, A, run the ball, which Tampa's 32nd in the league, at three yards per carry doing B give your quarterback a little bit of time. I think when you look at the offenses that, that really work in this league, a lot of times, not all the time, all the time, they're multiple. They can beat you in a lot of different ways. You know, if, if Patrick Mahomes has to go to a quick passing game and, and go short and take it, he's shown he can do that if he's got it. But you know, if not, if you go and take that away, he's going to throw the ball over your head. And you've got to have both those tools in your basket. You've got to be able to run against a, a, a good run look. You've got to be able to, you know, grind out a game when, when it's necessary and, and win that way as well. And I, don't, I think the Colts right now, the margin for error on offense is just too small. There's just not if, – if, if one thing goes wrong, we talked about it after the game on Sunday, a missed face mask blew up that game because – and why were they so upset? Because it was second and 12 now – Instead of first and 10 down at the 10, 
if you're an offense like a Kansas City offense where things are are going well and your quarterback has time and you can do a lot of different things, you're not worried about that. You got to go pick up 15 yards on the next play anyway, and who cares? But if you're the Colts right now, it's crippling because now all of a sudden you're behind the chains. Now the rush knows that they're going to throw the ball. The free rusher comes through. Matt Ryan makes a bad decision. It's a pick six. The Colts lose the game. That's how tiny the margin of error is. And I feel like with a rookie quarterback, it's hard for me to imagine that improving. But we'll see. We will definitely see. And you hope the one counter, I guess, to that is that his mobility for Sam Ellinger, you can escape the pocket or maybe, again, make the first guy miss where Matt Ryan could not do that. And then you give yourself a chance, like you said, on a free play or a play where you're outside the pocket to make plays. But then again, also to like what we're saying, defense is going to pick on that, pick up on that very quickly. So it goes back to being multiple and being able to succeed in many different ways. Sam Ellinger has to be able to get the ball quick and have a good quick pass game like Matt Ryan did for the most part of this year. He has to be able to take care of the ball, which Matt Ryan has refused to do. And he also has to be able to show you he can kind of like any throw in the field. He can beat you outside, but also beat you in the pocket. You have to be able to win, like I said, in different ways. And just that's just throwing the ball. Forget about winning, you know, running the ball, throwing the ball. Like if you just you have to win multiple ways being able to just pass the ball specifically with having an effective short game, which to the Colts' credit, they have had an effective short game. The issue for them is there is absolutely no deep threat whatsoever. So that short game gets suppressed and it gets tougher, you know, tougher sledding because you have everyone on defense within 10 yards line of scrimmage. And now all of a sudden those lanes and those windows are smaller and or non-existent because everyone knows what you're doing. And that's part of the reason why I think this this switch is made like we were talking about before. In case you missed it, we did our emergency pod on Monday. So make sure you check that out in case you missed it. Our uh, initial reaction to Matt Ryan getting banned for Ellinger. But that was kind of the part of the reason why we're saying like this Colts offense just feels like the definition of insanity if you don't make any sort of change because you're seeing the same thing over and over again. They can't throw the ball deep. They're trying to throw the ball short. They can't protect. And right now all the short throwing lanes are getting clogged up because the defense has zero respect for the deep ball. So you, you hope Sam Ellinger can bring some sort of, you know, the mobility at least maybe eases some of that tension right now and, you know, maybe pushes defenses back a little bit. That's really like where the Colts are kind of banking on the success coming from. Like, I don't think Sam Ellinger is going to be coming in here and be like Patrick Holmes from the ball 50 yards on the field. It's going to be his ability to make plays with his legs and extend plays outside the pocket where then you can hope, you know, he can throw the ball 15, 20 yards down the field for an explosive play because otherwise – we kind of highlighted on the postgame pod on, on Sunday against the Titans, George, there's zero explosion anywhere else on this offense. Right now, it's really on Sam Ellinger's legs and arm because Jalen Taylor is no running lanes for him to go, and there's no real deep passing game whatsoever. And I think that that's you know, one of the biggest things I think that's going to be a determining factor in, in you know the level of success Ellinger finds is his ability to throw that 50-50 ball. You know, because he's going to be able to get outside the pocket and buy some time. Can he put a ball up and, and, and place it properly so that, you know, a guy like Michael Pittman, a guy like Paris Campbell, a guy especially like Alec Pierce can go up and get it, you know, make a play on a 50-50 ball. That's where the only big plays I can see coming are going to be. Like you said, he's not going to throw that 70-yard dart down the field. That's that's not who he is. But can he get outside the pocket and make a catchable ball on a 50-50 ball that, that a guy like Alec Pierce can turn into a 30-yard game? Because if you can do that four or five times in a game, then you can kind of get that defense to soften up a little bit, open up more of that quick passing game, and be a little more successful with it. Um, I, I don't know that he can. I think that's going to be one of the biggest factors out there, though. Can he get out there, throw on the run? You know, Ryan really can't do that. That's not his game. It's never really been his game. Can he get out there and throw on the run and, and, and make a catchable pass in, in that kind of situation? It's a lot to ask of a guy who's making his first ever NFL start. It really is. Uh, I know that Marcus Brady said on Tuesday, kind of to your point, that they think that that Sam's running ability and, and you know doing some more nakeds with him and doing some of those kind of things might open up the running game a little bit as well. I think they're looking at Philadelphia in, in that kind of thought process where Jalen Hurts' runs, and, and really Baltimore too, where Lamar Jackson's running ability opens up some more things for the running backs. You know, maybe you work in an option, you know, kind of a, of an element. It's not going to be an option offense, but you work in that element into the running game and see how it goes. Um, but I just, you know, at the end of the day, you can, you can put all the bells and whistles on there you want. And you can try all the other things with the option and the quick passing game. If Ellinger can't four or five times a game push that ball downfield, like you said, defenses are just going to sit back on it. They're going to use their speed and their aggression and they're going to shut it down just like Tennessee did on Sunday. 
You are 100 right about that. It's that's going to be a you know a huge key for him on Sunday and also going forward for sure. Last thing here, George kind of put a bow in terms of expectations for Sam Ellinger. Just overall, Gerald, like we'll kind of break down the Commanders matchup specifically on our preview pod on Friday. But the overall season thoughts here for Ellinger, I think another way too for him to have instant success and again just put this offense in a better position to succeed compared to where Matt Ryan was obviously it's very simple turnovers or really lack thereof like we talk about the number of turnovers Matt Ryan 12 right but also if you look at the opportunities he's had 11 fumbles now somehow I still don't know how the, the Colts are able to recover eight out of the uh eight out of the 11 it's a miracle but you add in 11 balls on the ground plus the nine turnovers Matt Ryan in seven games has put the ball in harm's way. He's given the defense an opportunity to take the ball away 20 times, basically three times a game. If you're Sam Ellinger, I think the first thing you got to do, even before you worry about pushing the ball deep or trying to get the short passing game, you cannot give a defense three different opportunities to make a play to take the ball away and kind of change the game. Like even if this Colts offense, worst case scenario, does not improve, you know, drastically and really cannot get much more going than what Matt Ryan was uh, providing for them. If you are able to cut down on the turnovers, if you are someone in the camp of least hoping that this, this cold season is still salvageable and not going in the tank, I think that's one of the areas you can look at and kind of hope that, okay, if Ellinger bare minimum just prevents the turnovers and let's say cuts it down to, I don't know, one opportunity a game compared to Matt Ryan's three, that should just help the Colts offense be, like you said, in a little bit better position to succeed for an offense like you just mentioned, I think you're spot on with it. They can have, they basically have to be perfect for them to score a touchdown. They have can't have anything go wrong. And we know Matt Ryan is far from that, especially in the turnover department. Yeah, to me, that's the main reason this move's being made. I don't think that's a mystery to anybody. You know, the, the turnovers are what's driving this decision. I mean, obviously Ryan's injured as well, and they want to take a look at Sam Ellinger. Uh, if they felt like Matt Ryan was the guy they wanted to bring back, I think Nick Foles would be the starter right now. The move to Sam Ellinger is telling you they want to see what he can do. They, they hope that he can give you the spark. And it, it comes back again to those turnovers. I mean, that that's absolutely unacceptable, like you mentioned. 20 turnover, 20 chances for a turnover. And, and again, the, the fumbles they're recovering, what is that leading to? Second and 17, third and 19, you know, fourth down. Right. One of them was Draw on fourth down and, and the team got the ball back. I mean, it, they recovered the fumble, but it was still a turnover because it was fourth down. You know, I mean, right. um, and a shorter field for the other. That's hidden yardage, too. I mean, how many times is that putting 100%. more pressure on the punt coverage and, and, and all those kind of guys? But it, it brings me to a question that we kind of were, were talking about here at the top, too. The expectations for Sam Ellinger, but we kind of talked about this a little bit yesterday as well, is what's it going to take for him to be the guy in 2023? You know, what kind of record do you need? What does his numbers need? So let's just say that, that what you were talking about happens. Let's say that the, the primary improvement that Sam Ellinger brings to this football team is, is ball control, that he he's not turning the ball over. It, it goes from three chances a game down to one, one a game. The offense is more efficient as a result. But the score, they win a lot of Denver games. It's 12 to 9. You know what I mean? 13 to 10, 17 to 13, these ugly wins. Is that enough? If he goes 6 and 4, and they're averaging, say, 18 points a game instead of 16 now. Defense is playing well enough. Is that enough for him to be the starter in 2023? I go this far to your question. If it if that's really the only improvement, this offense, it's not more explosive, and it's really just taking care of the football, and they're still, like I said, they're winning games ugly more on the defensive side. Honestly, George, I don't even care if Sam goes 8-2 and two or 9-1. and one. I think you got to make a move to not bring him back. Like, I think at this point, like, I would almost say record be damned. Like, if he goes, let's say, 2-10. and 10, But let's just say this offense all of a sudden now is explosive. It's look, like it's almost like a Philadelphia Eagles, because I really like that comparison, too. And he's kind of looking like Jalen Hurts, where he's making good throws. And let's just say, for whatever reason, the defense, for how great they've been through seven games, just goes to crap. And they can't stop anyone. The Colts are losing games. I don't know, most most time 34-31, 28-24. But you see a real spark in offense. I don't care if he's two and ten. I would consider bringing him back more than if he's eight and two. But like I said, there's minimal change or, or marginal change on the offense. But it's kind of basically the same old, same old. But he's winning games. But it's still more in the defense. Like we, like you look at the AFC, right? The Colts want to be legitimate Super Bowl contenders at some point soon. You're gonna to have to go and beat Josh Allen in the playoffs, Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs, Joe Burrow. Probably Justin Herbert, assuming they at some point get that physical charges every single year, have talent, can never get over the top. But like, those are legitimate quarterbacks. They're going nowhere anytime soon. Lamar Jackson, 
Like, you are going to now have to have a quarterback that can go toe-to-toe. And if Sam Ellinger, again, is getting you from 16 points a game to 18 points, so they're 29th or 30th in the NFL and they're like 23rd or 24th, I don't think that's enough. Even if they're winning games, I don't personally think that's enough to bring them back next year. What's your thought on that? No, I agree with you 100%. I think it should not be the record. It should be what does this offense look like? Is it an exciting offense? Is it a tough offense to defend? Is he explosive? I mean, that to me, I'm with you. If, if they lose all 10 games because the defense falls apart, but he is leading an offense that that's suddenly scoring 27, 28 points a game, and it looks like a completely different team, then I would, I would rather bring him back in that situation than if they win all 10 and they're just – scraping by and they're just you know pulling these wins out uh because the defense is is making big plays and he's just not losing the game um you could make the case that that matt ryan has lost them a couple games he definitely lost them the game on sunday with that pick six um you know i think that you know if that's the only difference that's here i agree with you i don't think that's going to be enough i think you need to see that explosive thing and i think philadelphia the reason i keep bringing them up who's the head coach in philadelphia right now Nick, Nick Sirianni. Sirianni. Who talks to Nick Sirianni every week? Frank Reich. I mean, if if they're going to look for a model to follow, and if there's a team that he's watching and, and, you know, trying to copy some of what they're doing offensively, that's the one. And so I think that's why I keep going back there. You know, I, I really feel like maybe on that, that mini buy that they had after the Denver game when everything changed, maybe there was a conversation between Nick Sirianni and Frank Reich, and maybe this is, you know, where they've been heading ever since. Yeah, it definitely, it almost does feel like not spur of the moment or emotional that they're making this move from Matt Ryan to Sam Ellinger now this week. Like you said, it does feel like when it was kind of weeks in the making, they're kind of waiting for just the right time when you move Sam Ellinger up to number two and you say, oh, it's, you know, to get him in short yardage and then we haven't seen him on the field one time. So it kind of shows you, well, that's either a lie or just, you know, just didn't have the actual opportunity, which is hard to believe because the Colts have had you know, opportunities where they could have used him on third and one or second and short that they just didn't want to in the last two weeks. So yeah, I, I'm with you. It's It can't be about the record. It has to be just about his play for sure. And if he's not giving you much or even it's just a marginal improvement, look, the Colts have been on the hamster wheel for quarterbacks. It's time to get off. And it, it's you can't hit your wagon to someone who's marginally better than what we've seen from Matt Ryan so far. Because even though he's three, three and one through seven games, what are we talk about? The Colts have not looked like uh, a consistent team. They don't even look like a playoff team right now, even though, you know, the rest of the AFC is kind of leaving them in the mix. And if that's not, you know, that's not good enough right now to kind of hit your wagons to for 2023 and beyond. When you got to think a lot of these teams that we thought were going to be good this year, even though they're off to slow starts, I'm sure they'll rebound. But if they don't, I have a hard time thinking they won't be as bad next year as well. And that's kind of really also where your focus has to go. Speaking of next year, George, let's get into this discussion next because I do think it's an interesting one. Set, you know, seven games in a Colts make a move, so there's still 10 games to go to Sam Ellinger. If you are a Colts fan, where do you want to see this direction go? Do you want to see the rest of the season, you want to see them tank in order to get as high as possible to get a draft pick for a quarterback? Or are you rooting because they are 3-3-1 three, three, and one, just on the outside looking into the playoffs? Are you rooting for Sam to have success and make a run to the playoffs? We'll discuss kind of the, the best thing for the Colts feature here when the Blue Horseshoe Pod returns. As always, Colts fans, if you like the show, not only download, subscribe, tell a friend, let them know about the Blue Horseshoe Pod and leave us a review and let us know what you like, but also what you don't like. We want to we want to make this show for you. So if there's something you don't like that you want to hear more of or less about, let us know. We'll try to cater to you because, again, we are here for you, the Colts fans. So speaking of the Colts fans, George, it's interesting kind of to get a gauge so far the last 48, 24 hours hearing the Sam Ellinger news of him being the quarterback and kind of seeing the direction this team is going. Because it's really one of two ways here. You can either be in the camp of it's time to tank. This team's not very good. And let's just get off the court at carousel once and for all and, and just focus on now getting the highest draft pick possible. Or, hey, you're 3-3-1. Three, three and one. You're in, I believe, ninth place right now in the AFC. So just on the outside looking in. But again, you are a game, a half game out of out of a playoff spot. So you're still right there in the mix. You want to see Sam Ellinger come in and have success. What side are you on in terms of what is best for the Colts' future? Do you think they should still try to make a run at the playoffs because it's right there? Or is, is tanking and kind of and looking at the future for 2023 and beyond kind of the best thing for this Colts team now in 2022? Yeah, I think I'm on the side of I think it's almost too late to take. I think I think they've let too much time go through. I, I think it it's almost they're kind of on both sides of it now. There's a really big hill to climb to try to get into the playoff chase and, and make a difference in the playoffs, but there's also a really big high hill to climb 
to get high enough up in the draft order to to get a guy like Bryce Young, Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, who who really feel like the true difference makers uh, in, in this quarterback draft class. Uh, and if you're going to end up t- taking a swing with a guy like Will Levis anyway, you know maybe you're better off getting him in the middle of of the round of the first round than you know getting him at number five or number three or wherever you might be. So. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I tend to be more, I think the best thing, you know, if the question is what's best for this team, I think the best thing for this franchise would be if, if a miracle happens, if Sam Ellinger turns into, you know, the, the story of the year and looks legitimately like the future at that position looks the way he did in the preseason and, and, and has that kind of playmaking ability and, and is the guy. And there's not a lot of question about that because then you can move on to everything else you need to fix, primarily the offensive line, and get off the quarterback carousel. The problem with that is I don't think it's a very realistic outcome. I think it's it's among the, the most unlikely uh, of the possibilities. You know, the world of possibilities that are out there uh, of how this is going to play out. But to me, that's the one that, 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 you know, works the best for this football team. It's a tough question, right? Because uh, you make a very valid point. Like, we're seven games in. So it's not like, you know, if you want to tank all of a sudden, like, oh, yeah, we're still early. Like, they lost, if they were, you know, after, let's say, week two and you're 0 1 and 1, different story compared to now where you're 3 3 and 1. Again, closer to, you know, the playoff situation than you are right now. Let's say the top of the draft. We put this poll out here on Twitter just to kind of, kind of gauge the fan base. And it's really interesting that so far the results, George, at Ryan underscore Hickey number three and also GM Bremer on Twitter so you can find the poll question. So you basically kind of ask this question, like if you, as a Colts fan, what do you want to do? Tank, basically, or make a playoff run? 60% said tank for a higher pick. 40% say make a run to the playoffs. So it's basically almost 50-50, you know, per se, of Colts fans kind of split here of rooting and wanting Sam to have success and making a playoff run. And the other half percent, enough of the quarterback, you know, carousel, we get off, let's worry about finally getting the guy and then moving forward. I am entrenched in the camp of tanking. I'll be honest here. I'll put my cards on the table, George. I am in the game. I'll be rooting for the Colts to win. With that said, I hope they lose every game. I truly hope they lose every single game the rest of the year because I do think while, yes, tanking is not exactly a a trend that has worked. And you can point to many examples of the Jets and the Lions picking the top three and guess what? Never getting out of the top three and always being there year after year after year. So tanking is not just a a very quick solution as the Jaguars as well as they've always had trouble kind of getting out from underneath themselves really outside of one year. But when it comes to this team specifically, where if you are going to take a quarterback, and it feels like at this point it's almost a certainty the Colts will take a quarterback in the first round. I would rather the Colts, even though they're 3-3-1, and lose as many games as possible. Let's say end up with the 7th, 8th, or ninth pick, right? Like you said, number one, probably top three, probably top five, it's gone at this point. Unless you lose every game and you're 3-13-1, you can probably kiss the top five goodbye. But let's say they're picking, I don't know, in the late, late 10, 7, 8, 9 range. I would rather the Colts get there on their own rather than, let's say they finish 8, 8, and 1, and they trade up to number 8. Because the one thing I think this Colts team needs outside of a quarterback, they obviously have to hit on the quarterback, right? But they also, I think, need to keep as many of their own assets as possible to build a team around the quarterback. You look at a few examples, and I brought up Justin Fields before, and I want to kind of bring up the Bears one more time here, because you look at what happened in that 2021 draft. They were 19th, I believe. They traded up to 10 or 11 to get Justin Fields. They give the Giants a first-round pick the next year for Justin Fields. So you get Justin Fields, and you look at the team. The offensive line sinks. They have no receivers, no tight ends, like no real weapons for Justin Fields to throw the ball to. So you trade up, and you give an extra first-round pick away, and then you look after a bad 2021 season. Guess what? The Bears are picking in the top 10. They're picking number 7. The only problem is they don't have that pick because they traded up. So now the Giants are drafting an offensive lineman that the, the Bears desperately could have used. They desperately could have used the seventh overall pick last year for a receiver to get Justin Fields any sort of help. And now you're looking at a guy that it's tough to evaluate because he's been more bad than good so far for the first year and a half. But the question is, okay, he's had two head coaches. He has no offense line in front of him, no receivers throw the ball. It's like, how much is it Fields, but how much is it what's around him? If you're the Colts, like, I want to try to eliminate as many question marks as possible when it comes to getting a young quarterback, whoever it may be. So if you are at least able to pick, you know, keep your picks, you don't have to trade up into the top 10, but it's saying you can keep your first round picks for, you know, 2024, 2025 and beyond. You need those picks to still supplement the team, whether it's, like I said, offensive line. They're going to have to obviously address the offensive line in probably multiple drafts now to get it back up. 
receivers. You know, you can always use extra receiver depth. They're going to probably need, you know, some more edge rushers to kind of, you know, get more presence in like a, a lockdown number one outside corner. These are all important positions the Colts are going to have to address, let's say, with the next two or three years. That it helps to have your own picks at your disposal instead of throwing them. I don't say throwing them away, but using them, I should say, to trade up because you decided to go for it. And like I said, unrealistically, you kind of just go through it at five and five or four and six. And now you're sitting there at pick 17. We got to try to compare to if you just lose as many games as possible, you're sitting there at pick number seven. So for me, I want the Colts. It's kind of twofold here or really onefold. I just think for them, obviously, getting the quarterback is the most important thing. But I also think as well, if you can keep as many assets as possible to build this team up around that young quarterback, that's equally as important because we are saying this year, George, this team is not as solidly built and not as good as at least I thought coming into this year. There's a lot of holes that do need fixing and you're going to need draft picks to help fix those. Yeah, you know, and I think Frank Wright kind of admitted that yesterday or Tuesday, uh, Monday when he made the announcement about, uh, you know, the quarterback change. He said, he told Matt Ryan, we failed to hold up our end of the bargain. You know, we promised you a really good running game and we promised you a, a really good pass protection and you didn't get either one of those things. And that's basically just exactly what you're talking about. They weren't the team that they thought they were. And that's part of why the Matt Ryan experience, it's not part of it, it's entirely why the Matt Ryan experience experiment didn't work. Uh, and so now you're going to have to support that young quarterback the same way. You're going to need all those assets. I think that's, you know, it's a more realistic outcome that they end up getting that seventh or eighth pick than it is that that Sam Ellinger is the, you know, next Tom Brady or, or whatever uh, you want to throw out there for, you know, surprising. Uh, I guess Dak Prescott's probably a better comparison. If you want to throw Tom goal. Brady out there, Prescott's not as low a pick, but, you know, he was thrown into injury and, and obviously – turned into a great story and the Cowboys were able to, you know, build around him. Um, I think that that's, look, to me, I think the best outcome for the Colts is if Ellinger has that kind of rise because then you've yes. got the quarterback and you, and you keep all your assets. But I absolutely agree with you. The, the worst thing can happen is, is between the two things we're talking about. You've got to know one way or the other. He's either going to be so good that he's the guy and you can keep your assets and build around him, or he's got to be, get the team to a spot where they're bad enough that you can go get the guy. The other thing about having the higher pick and not having to trade up for it is if it fails, if you take Will Levis and he doesn't work out and you just use your seventh round pick, it's still bad and it still hurts, but not as much as if it doesn't work out and you gave up assets in future years. That's a George. That's a hundred percent a great point. Cause you're right. Like it, it's not just hitting the quarterback, but it's also too, how can you build the team around him? And like another example, the Colts know this really well is the Jets. When the Colts had that 2017 year, Andrew Luck missed it. They picking third overall. Jets traded up. They gave, what was it, three second-round picks away. So not a first-round pick, but they swung a miss on Sam Darnold. The Colts drafted two all-pro caliber players in Quentin Nelson and Shaq Leonard. And it's like you see like how much, like even just moving up a few spots, how much that helped the Colts out in the moment and get we up to this year, you know, at least with Quentin Nelson, at least with Dar uh, Shaq Leonard, uh, cornerstone player. But, you know, Quentin Nelson's kind of regressed a little bit this year. But again, two cornerstone players in the draft. Like the draft picks do matter. Having your own assets do matter. Because, like you said, part of the thing is like if it swings and misses and more quarterbacks, you know, fail than hit. Like that's also not pretend like, oh, it's a guarantee the Colts, wherever they pick, is going to work out. Like honestly, you look at the odds, it's probably not going to work out. Like I hope that this team is good enough. And that's part of the reason why you want to keep your own picks is you want to put, them in the best position to succeed. But you're right. Like if it is going to fail and it's 50, 50 proposition, well, at least having your own first round pick the year after, even if you're not going to draft a quarterback like that year, but you just have it so you can draft a offensive lineman or a wide receiver or, you know, a defensive end or, or corner like at least you could build your team elsewhere. You set yourself up in a position to where if you do have to get back on the quarterback carousel, two, three years, you are an attractive destination for a veteran or you can kind of get back and, and give that other rookie quarterback even more of a chance to succeed than the one the Colts probably take in 2023. So you're 100% right, too. It's it's twofold. It's getting the quarterback, but it's also making sure the team around him is good enough. And you know, I think Frank Reich hit the nail on the head and kind of foreshadowed what happens when you don't have a good enough team around the quarterback. It all fails. It all fails. And I think through seven games, we all saw that with our own eyes. It's like, I think Andrew Luck is not, there's no Andrew Luck 2.0. Uh, there's no Andrew Luck that's going to come in here, take over a bad team, and carry them to the playoffs with awful players around him, with no offensive line, with, with really no receivers to throw the ball to, no running back to hand the ball off to. That savior is, is once in a generation. So that, that whoever they draft next year, that's not going to be the case. 
And so, again, it's so important to keep your own draft picks in order to build up this roster so they have the protection they need to throw the ball. They have, you know, a defense that is getting after the quarterback and getting turnovers to give themselves an extra opportunity to maybe win the game. And right now, like you said, through seven games, this Colts team has more holes, let's say, than, than we thought. And you need those picks to be able to kind of shore them up here, not just this draft, but also in the next few years as well to kind of build a very well-rounded team to compete with some of the best in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. And and the other thing about it is if you end up in that seven or eight range, then you're in that situation where you never know. Weird things happen every year in the draft. As we get into the draft process, they start picking apart these quarterbacks. All of a sudden, you know, maybe Justin Fields failures make people shy away from CJ Stroud. Maybe the shoulder injury is something that, that becomes a problem for Bryce Young and they fall out of that top three where you think they're going to be right now. And if you're at seven or eight, you have a much better chance of hopping up to five or six or or maybe they fall right to you. So I, I think definitely, you know, it's got to be one or the other. Either Sam Ellinger's got to be the guy and you can move on with him and, and you feel good about it, like legitimately good about it. Not like we were talking about the record's good, but you have a lot of questions. He's either is the guy and, and there's no doubt about it or they're picking in the top 10 and you can go and, and get the future there. You're 100% right. That's where the season's going to come down to. Either way, like obviously – the best case scenario, you hit it. I, I hope it happens, but I'm just trying to also live in a realistic world here. I don't think Sam Ellinger is going to be Dak Prescott or or Tom Brady, right? Like, there's a chance, sure. Like, we haven't seen it, so maybe. But you're right. In the real world, the odds of that happening are very slim. But if that happens, great. But also, if it doesn't happen, then you want to make sure he's bad enough to where you're in a position to to, to uh, take quarterback, but also to know we're not going. You know, we're not going to bring back Sam. The worst thing you said is be stuck in the middle picking in, in the teens, but also unsure is, his, is he good enough or not? And then, you know, kind of waffle and flake about whether you truly need a quarterback or not. 2022, like you mentioned, has to come down to getting an answer at quarterback. Either they have it or they know for sure they don't. One, whatever side of the fence, Colts fans, you want to be, because I think it sounds like we just gave you kind of the poll results. It's almost 50-50, 60-40, basically, of one to succeed or not. Either way, we just need an answer, and that's really kind of, I think, will determine this point a success or a failure of 2022 is that's even probably bigger success or, or you know, than even making the playoffs. I like, like I said, if you have an answer at the quarter position, either way to that would be a, a successful 2022 season, which is kind of sad that we're sitting there at week eight saying that, but that's where we are, George. That That's where you're at. If you're either going to get that answer in the draft as a result of the season, or you've got that answer in Sam Ellinger, then it's, then this is a successful season. I'm absolutely with you. And the worst thing that happens is he's Cooper rush. He goes out there and he keeps things, you know, afloat and, and, and the draft pick gets lower. The Cowboys needed that because they're in playoff contention. It was great for them. It, I think it would be bad right now for the Colts. Right. Cause even to Cooper rush, you, you watch those games. He's, He's okay. He's not doing anything special. It's just kind of like I said, keeping the ship afloat, but really not providing any sort of game-breaking action that says, oh, this is the guy going forward for sure. That is another bad, bad case scenario for the Colts for sure. Speaking of the direction, too, let's wrap up the podcast with this, George. We do come back here another side. Trade deadline is Tuesday, so it's rapidly approaching. What should the Colts do? Should they be sellers? Should they kind of stay the same and kind of see where the season goes? We'll discuss the plan of action for the Colts at the trade deadline when the Blue Horseshoe Pod returns. In case you missed our emergency pod, make sure you check it out wherever you do get your podcast. Me and George gave our initial reaction just minutes after the Colts did announce the other day that Sam Ellinger will now be QB1 for the Colts, and Matt Ryan is headed to the bench. But speaking of Matt Ryan heading to the bench, George, I think it does bring a fascinating question, especially with, with the timing being so interesting. The trade deadline is Tuesday. We're recording this on Tuesday, so a week from today is the trade deadline. By the time you're listening, it'll be less than a week away. So the Colts don't have a lot of time to kind of figure out the direction they want to go in. They have a few players, if they wanted to trade them, probably could get some interest, probably could get some draft picks back. It would, at this point, would it be wise for the Colts to be sellers at the deadline, or they should say kind of status quo right now, and at least give Sam Ellinger a few weeks to kind of see with a full complement of characters and offensive defense, see if he truly is a guy or not? I'm kind of in the boat here. You you kind of mentioned it earlier off the air. You were talking about, do you wait and see what, what happens on Sunday? And I think you have to. But I think you've got to prepare yourself. If I was Chris Ballard right now, I would be testing the waters on certain guys because I think you owe it to a guy like Stephon Gilmore, uh, maybe even a guy like Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, you owe it to guys like that to, to get them to a contender if you're not going to be one. And I know, again, this goes back to, I think one of the worst things about the NFL right now is what's best for the franchise isn't always what's best for the people running the franchise. And the idea that, 
as we've talked about before, the best outcome, one of the best outcomes for this team right now would be for the rest of this season to go very, very poorly and then to end up with a pick where they can get the quarterback for the future and move forward. That's probably not going to be the best outcome for Chris Ballard and Frank Reich. So, you know, it's that tension that goes on between what's best for your head coach or your general manager, what's best for the franchise moving forward. Uh, but I do think that if I was Chris Ballard, even knowing that, my, my thought process would be, hey, I might survive this. And one of the ways to survive this is to set this team up for the future. And one of the ways to do that is to get the picks. And so I would dangle. I would I would put guys like Ngakwe and Gilmore on the market this week, get those discussions started with the idea that if you go out Sunday and you look like a playoff team, then you cut it. You you keep the guys, you move forward the way you are, and you you tell those guys, all right, talks are over. You know, we were exploring those options, but we're not going to go down that road. It looks like we we can make this work. And if you go out there on Sunday and it, the answer is you're not a playoff team, you look really bad, or it's inconclusive and those deals are good enough, you pull the triggers on guys like that, you let young guys play in their spots the rest of the year, and you add to that draft arsenal that you're going to need to rebuild this football team. It's... It's so tough because you kind of highlighted why like so many franchises in the NFL are dysfunctional is because, like you said, you have so many different motivations in the locker room where Jim Irsay, like he's going nowhere. Like no one's firing Jim Irsay. So he's probably, you would think, as especially for him being such a big fan, he would think, okay, I want to, I'd rather prefer long-term viability compared to, let's say, a short-term success. So that would mean trading guys like you mentioned. I think the two, especially that would be on the block and most tradable, unique in Gakwe and Stephon Gilmore. Those two probably give you the biggest return, even though they're both on kind of short-term deals. But if you're Chris Ballard, right? Like, if it's close right now, the one thing you kind of hang your hat on is, hey, he's been really good in kind of later rounds of the draft. Like, if you have more assets, hey, you know, I've shown you in the past, I can get, I can find guys like give me a chance to do it again. But if you're Frank Reich, like, I don't think you're sitting there saying, yeah, Gilmore, let him go, and Gakwe, let him go. Like, let's just you know, wave the white flag on the season. You're right, he's coaching for his job, and that's always where it gets kind of tough. And you do see kind of dysfunction go on with some franchises because you have the head coach shooting one thing, the GMA motivated by the, the other, the fan base and the owner maybe wanting another thing. So when you have all those different motivations working against each other, it's tough to come up with a consensus. But with that said, I do think the two guys you mentioned, I would trade him if I'm Chris Ballard. Easy for me to say. But also you got to look, Stephon Gilmore's on a two-year deal and Ngakwe's on a one-year deal. The Colts look, they're not a super bowl contender, right? Like that's very obvious. Even if they can make the playoffs, if Sim Ellinger somehow turns this thing around, works miracles, like eight and two, nine and one, and they're in the playoffs, are they really going to go head to head with with Kansas City or Buffalo? No. So with those guys on such short term deals, anyway, by the time you get the quarterback in, and by the time you get that young quarterback to a position to where you can now start to contend for the playoffs and maybe the Super Bowl in a few years, those guys are gone anyway. So it's like, if you can at least, if they're going to be gone in two or three years anyway, why not just get a pick for them now? Kind of like I said, allow, allow them to be a part of a playoff chase and then just, you know, use those picks to hopefully kind of get either their replacement in the draft or another young guy or compile picks to where if you do have to trade up, maybe get an extra second or third round pick from get from the Gilmore trade and maybe Ngakwe can give you an extra fourth, like just an, a little extra sprinkle on a potential deal in case you have to move up you know, to the top 10, to the top five, to get the guy kind of that you want. Yeah. You know, I, I think you don't do it with guys like Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman because, yeah, they're no, going to cost no. you a lot soon, but they're part of this. You know, they're going to be part of whatever you're doing more, moving forward. Uh, right. To me, it's, it's guys like Gilmore and Ngakwe who, who you know, probably are, you could argue that would be better off somewhere else right now uh, where they're at in their careers and where the Colts appear to be uh, in their building phase now. You know, I, I think those are, that's the way you look at it. Uh, but I agree with you. I mean, if I'm Frank Reich, I'm sitting in there and I'm saying, I want everybody. I want all hands on deck. I got to win games. I'm going to make this work with, with uh, Sam Ellinger. And, and we're going to turn this around as we have every year that I've been here. You know, that's my argument. If I'm him, if I'm Chris Ballard, I'm probably somewhere in the middle. I'm like, well, I'll, I'll let you see. I'll see what happens in Washington. We'll go from there. Here's a name I want to throw out there that I have no idea if there's even any interest whatsoever. But what about Matt Ryan? It's obvious his career in Indy is done. He's on a two-year deal right now, and when you say he's benched and benched for the rest of the season, his job is done. 
I mean, you look at a team like Carolina, who who has had injuries at the quarterback position. They're technically one game out of first place in the NFC South. I think they're three and fourth time ahead. So it's not like they're they're any good. I don't know if there's any interest to even facilitate the discussion, George, but I'm curious if there is interest. You trade Matt Ryan? That's the one guy I would do either way. I mean, that's the one guy I wouldn't even wait on the Washington situation with. Uh, if if there's interest from another franchise and there's interest on his side and going to another franchise and you're going to get literally anything for him, uh, I understand that you get rid of that cap hit that you're going to have, the, the dead money. I mean, I, that one to me is an absolute because, again, what did we say about this season? You need one of two outcomes. You either need to know that Sam is the guy and you're moving forward with him or you need to know he's not and you're going forward with somebody else. Matt Ryan doesn't factor into that. You know, I, I don't think there's any scenario right. where Matt Ryan coming back onto the field this year is is a good outcome for the Colts in all likelihood. I mean, you're spinning your wheels if that if that's the case. And so I would I would trade him. I wouldn't even wait. I, if there's somebody that's interested and he's willing to go to that team, I would pull that one. I'd pull the trigger on that one right away. I'm with you now. The injury situation with his shoulder makes it maybe a little bit tougher. Like I, it's going to be tough, especially you know to trade for a quarterback in season. We rarely ever see it. But to your point, I'm with you. Like I know you can make the argument. Oh, you know he could stick around and kind of help you know Sam Ellinger develop and use his veteran leadership to kind of show Sam the ropes. But I, I'm with you. screw that. If you can get anything from Matt, even a seventh round pick, just to kind of get his cap hit off the off the roster for this year, more importantly next year and allow him a, an opportunity to play again this season and maybe compete for the for the playoffs in a you know weaker NFC or even a weaker AFC, I'm going to go for it. Uh, Chris Ballard, I take anything right now. If you want to give me a, a bag of footballs, fine. You, you know, brush them up and let's use them on yep. Sunday. Break them in that way. But, yeah, I'm with you. I, that's the fascinating part. I have no idea if there's any interest. But there are some, no. like even Washington, like, like Carson Wentz thinks, I know they made the move with the Colts, so they may not do another, you know, want to be motivated to another quarterback here with the Colts. But I mean, Taylor Heineke, I know he beat the Packers, but I was watching that game on Sunday. My God, he put the ball in harm's way 400 times and 399. He got lucky by drops or just, you know, penalties. Can't like Colts, we'll see him firsthand on Sunday, but you can't feel great if you're still trying to compete for a playoff spot with Taylor Heineke as your guy. I just wonder if there'd be any interest from any other team. It's, that's the part that's going to be interesting, but I'm with you. If there is, yeah. pull the trigger. I, I, yeah, to me, that's the thing. If there's interest, that's that's the cold question. I don't know if there is. Uh, maybe there are some teams in the NFC, especially in the NFC South, where you know it, it's a pretty wide open division, and and most teams uh, in that in that division could still win it. I mean, I don't. Maybe New Orleans is on that that list. I don't know. That's a good one. You know, he's that's been around. Um, he's he knows that division very well. Obviously, he's been there for a long time. It. it if there's interest in that situation, yeah, I would do it in a heartbeat. I would trade him for a seventh rounder. I wouldn't care what it was because you're moving on anyway. And the cap relief that you get from it. And also you take that shadow off of Sam Ellinger. We were talking about before. I don't know how easy it's going to be to actually get a read on him this year. I don't, it's not a great situation for him coming into anyway. With Sam, with Matt Ryan over his shoulder, it's an even more difficult evaluation. I think if you can get him onto another team, it's good for him. It's it, That one to me is a no-brainer. It's good for everybody. That's a good point, too. Not that he's a distraction per se. Like, he doesn't come off as that, that kind of guy. You know better than me kind of seeing my practice in the locker room and stuff, George. But you're right. Like, just the questions of if he struggles, like, I think it's fair to say Sam Ellinger will definitely have his talents for sure in this 10-game stretch. And you know there's going to be a portion of the fan base, maybe even a portion of the team itself. Like, eh, we weren't that bad with Matt. Like, you know, maybe we can get him back in the mix. And you're right. Just removing him from the team just more removes that distraction and at least helps Sam, if he's going to have success, kind of put him in a little bit better position to succeed when you take away that kind of thought of, oh, let's go back to Matt Ryan because at least we were, you know, had some success and we're three, three and one compared to, you know, if it's ugly and you're two and five in the first seven games of Ellinger's career. It's like you said, it just helps remove that distraction and kind of gives him a chance to breathe a little bit and play without constantly looking over his shoulder. And if you're New Orleans, maybe you have the same thought the Colts had at the beginning of the year. We could bring this guy in. We've got a lot of the other pieces. We can make it work. Saints are, are that's a great one because they have talent. They, I mean, they're hurt a lot, but they do have the talent there to kind of make it worth Matt Ryan's while as well. If he still wants to kind of play and kind of get one more run at, you know, the playoffs and beyond and kind of get that elusive Super Bowl. New Orleans would be a good landing spot, like you mentioned, a team he knows uh, and a conference he knows or a division, I should say, he knows very, very, very well. So that is that will do for this edition, a loaded edition of the Midweek Pod right here on the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Thursday, as you can imagine, or I should say Friday, when we um, release the pod, 
very specific in terms of Commanders Colts preview, what to kind of expect from Sam Ellinger in, in game number one here. What can you kind of do? We'll be seeing any schematic changes. What are the Colts like I need to step up to make sure that he can have as good of a debut as possible? We'll get you kind of set there for Commanders Colts in the next one. But, but in the meantime, make sure you're following George on Twitter at GM Bremer. Check me out at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. Sam Ellinger will be the name heard the most this week, and we'll continue that on thir- on uh, Friday, I should say. So have a great rest of your week, and we'll check you next time right here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod.